When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 240 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. People, great show today. First of all, I hope you enjoyed the bonus edition of the Air Tour Sports Podcast on Wednesday, and I'm guessing by looking at the download numbers that you did, and as I've said all along, I am here to keep you entertained for a couple hours while you get through this situation. Some of you not working as much, some of you at home, some of you, your kids are driving you crazy, and so if AT can present you with an hour or a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour 15 of entertainment, AT's going to do it, because that's the kind of person that I am in these quarantine times. So, Hope you enjoyed my interview with Sylvia Corkle this week and a great show for you today this evening. First of all, I said last episode, the Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun will join me momentarily. And listen, I'll just be honest with you. I know there are a lot of you that are not UConn fans who listen to this show. I know a lot of you think you hate Jim Calhoun. I'm telling you. Give the interview about 10 minutes. You are going to love it. I will say this. There was a little technical difficulty about one minute in, um, but if you get through that, there should be no issues. And what I'll tell you is this. You're going to love the interview with Jim Calhoun. We really talk about everything, and I don't know if he was just bored at home or what, but we had so much to talk about. We talked about uh, his success as a D3 coach this year. I thought he had some really insightful stuff on how he went about recruiting during his time at UConn, the players that he evaluated. I know a lot of you guys uh, are, are either coaches yourselves or your little league coaches or you coach your son or daughter's team, and I thought he gave some great insight into a lot of that stuff. We also talked about reading books to pass the time during this quarantine, what TV shows he's watching, the fact that he loves American Idol. So listen, I'm telling you, I think this interview is a different side of Jim Calhoun than any of you or many of you that are not UConn fans have ever seen. I do think that you'll very much enjoy it, and I also think you'll get something out of it. I should mention, by the way, did ask him about Ryan Gomes. You'll get a kick out of it, because I was almost afraid to ask, and for people who don't know about the Jim Calhoun-Ryan Gomes situation, Ryan Gomes was a former NBA player who grew up in Connecticut. Jim Calhoun did not recruit him when he was at UConn, was asked about it in a press conference, and went ballistic, and you can find that information on YouTube if you want to see the original press conference, but he had a good laugh about it now. Before we get to Jim Calhoun, a couple topics in college basketball I do want to discuss. First of all, the scheme 
The documentary about Christian Dawkins and the FBI trial in college basketball came out. Obviously, last week I had the director of the scheme on the show, Pat Kindellis, and talked a little bit about it. But now that many of you have seen the um, seen the documentary, I do want to talk about it, do want to get into it. From there, I will talk a little bit about Billy Gillespie getting another head coaching job. I saw some pushback that I really didn't like, and I don't think Billy Gillespie is a great human being, and I don't think that he has done, or I do think he has done, excuse me, a lot of things that he probably regrets, but I saw some people saying that he shouldn't be allowed to ever coach again, which I just don't agree with. We'll talk a little bit about that. Finally, we'll wrap with two kind of nuggets from the kind of basketball world. I generally don't talk grad transfers, as you know, but Arkansas picked up a big one on Wednesday. Vance Jackson, who I know very well, he grew up not far from where I'm living now in Pasadena. He grew up about 10 minutes from where I live, from where I'm standing. He is now going to Arkansas. He also went to UConn, my alma mater, his freshman year. So I know a lot about this kid. A lot of Arkansas fans listen. And we will wrap with a couple real quick stay or go decisions, uh, specifically at Kentucky, where the fan base is really on pins and needles about Emmanuel Quickly and EJ Montgomery. And that is how we will wrap the show before we get to Jim Calhoun. Before we get started, I do want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. As I've said many times, we are going to keep doing this show twice a week, every week, if not more, three weeks, three times this week, because I really do feel like, one, it is a great opportunity for me to put out some good content, a lot of good guests this time of year, but also because I know it's something that helps you guys pass the time. I appreciate the support. I appreciate you guys continuing to download this show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars like Cole Jones 30 did. Cole Jones 30 says this, I would give this 10 stars if I could. Aaron with two A's, and that's for that's a Bill, that's a Bill Walton thing, by the way, for you guys that don't know. Uh, that was from the day I rubbed elbows with Bill Walton. Aaron with two A's brings great content and enthusiasm to his twice-a-week podcast. He is a college basketball encyclopedia and keeps us engaged with awesome guests and the occasional hot take. I would have rated this podcast 10 stars if Apple would have let me. He also managed to keep Bill Walton on track for 30 minutes, which is an incredible feat. Keep up the great work, AT. So thank you to Cole Jones 30 for leaving that very nice review. I would appreciate all of you if you could do the same. I know it sounds lame, but it really does help when you're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever, leave a rating or review. It really does help. Finally, if you're not following on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, people, no more time to waste. And let's get into what I think kind of became the big topic in college hoops and really maybe even sports in general with such little sports over the last couple days. And that was the documentary, The Scheme which was, of course, about Christian Dawkins and the FBI trial in college basketball. And to reiterate what I said a minute ago, um, I, I watched this documentary about probably six, seven days ago. I had the, um, what do you call it? the director of the show on this podcast. You can go back and listen to this. It was three or four episodes ago. His name was Pat Kindellis. But if you remember that episode... I very briefly went over the documentary, and I didn't talk about it too much because none of you had seen it, but what I very simply said was this. While everybody else in the media was trying to make this about the Will Wade, Sean Miller wiretaps, what I told you was very simply this. The documentary made the FBI itself look worse than Will Wade or Sean Miller. Well, now the documentary has come out. Many of you have seen it, and I got to ask, did AT do it again? 
Or did AT do it again? Because if you were sitting around watching that documentary, waiting for the Sean Miller Will Wade wiretaps, you were sadly disappointed because it was about the last five minutes of the documentary, and the first hour and 40 or so of the documentary was about the scheme itself, the FBI's relationship with Christian Dawkins and college basketball. And so even for people who didn't see the documentary, I'm just going to lay it out. And I don't think I don't think I'm really giving spoilers because this was something that happened on a very public forum. But I think it'll give you some perspective and hopefully encourage you to figure out a way to watch. And I know not everybody uh, has HBO, but maybe you can steal a friend's password or something and check it out. But anyway, so the, it's very simply... The scheme is about, as I said, Christian Dawkins and the the kind of the trials in college basketball. And for people who, you know, listen, you all remember how this all went down, but very simply is that a couple, uh, you know, Christian Dawkins was given money by a private, you know, by somebody to uh, give to college coaches to give to recruits. That's how it was sold to us. And listen, I, I, you know, it was sold to us as this big, nefarious, awful thing. And I'll be honest, I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. We all remember that press conference, uh, the FBI talking to the media saying, college coaches, we have your playbook. Come find us before we find you. And there were a lot of people in the media, myself certainly included, that said, oh my goodness, this is going to be huge. This is the biggest story ever. This is going to take down college basketball as we know it. And it never really happened. And everybody kept asking me, when is the bombshell going to drop? When are the big news, you know, when are the big coaches going to get fired? Because as of right now, the only head coach that has been fired is Rick Pitino and the four assistants who were arrested on that original day. And so for people who were asking, why, you know, why haven't we had more? We found out very easily why it hasn't happened in the documentary on Wednesday night or Tuesday night. And that was very simply this. This whole thing was a scheme and was botched from the top levels. And so to very simply kind of recap what happened, um, the FBI catches this guy, Marty Blazer, and Marty Blazer is looking at very serious jail time. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, if you reduce my sentence, I can get you some college basketball coaches. I can get you some college basketball coaches breaking federal laws. And the FBI, they're drooling at the mouth, you know, like uh, me looking at an open bar where I can go sit down right now during these quarantine times. That would be me. If there was an open bar and I could walk in and have a beer, my mouth would be drooling. I'd be drooling from my mouth. And that's what happened with these FBI agents. They said, you could get us college basketball. Oh my God, that'd be huge. So they bring in this guy, Marty Blazer. And Marty Blazer connects with Christian Dawkins, who, again, he was an agent. He was a runner. He was basically a level below an agent. And they basically bring in Christian Dawkins and say, hey, we want to get involved in representing college, you know, know, athletes going to the NBA, right? So we want to get into the low level. You know all these guys. We want to build the relationships now to have these guys as our clients when they get to the NBA, And so Christian Dawkins said, cool, yeah, I can deliver that, no big deal. The one issue was this, the people that we, you know, Marty Blazer and the people that were working for him, which of course were undercover FBI agents said, well, we want to go through the college basketball coaches because, you know, whatever, like whatever, you know, that's how it's going to get done. And if you watch the documentary, Christian Dawkins very much says like, dude, that's not really how it goes down. The bottom line is very simply this. If you want me to get you players, I can get you players, but I'm going to go through the families because the families control the kid. The coaches never forget, don't even want them to leave. Why would a Sean Miller want his best players to leave? Why would a John Calipari want his best players to leave? And so Christian Dawkins from the beginning said, I'm happy to do this with you guys, but 
we shouldn't go through the, the, the coaches. The coaches have nothing to do with this. We should go through the players. And as you see in the documentary, the FBI is very adamant. No, no, no. We got to go through the coaches. And the reason is very simply this. It's because they were trying to build a case when there really wasn't one because there were no federal crimes happening, et cetera, et cetera. And it's crazy because in the documentary, there's even a moment where Christian Dawkins is on the phone with Merle Code, who worked at Adidas and said, like, dude, I don't know what's up with these guys, but these guys are crazy. They're spending money left and right. They have no idea how the business works. And this is a disaster. And I don't know what they want from me. And Christian Dawkins even went so far as to say, like, dude, I think these guys are in the mob. And the reason he said that was because what they were doing made no sense. And again, the reason that they did it was to entrap college basketball coaches. They had to build a case. And to build a case, they had to lure in coaches, even though Christian Dawkins is telling them, hey, dude, this makes no sense. Unfortunately, it was Christian Dawkins. Uh, Christian Dawkins, it wasn't his money, so he had to follow their rules, which brought in the coaches, which ended up uh, getting arrested. And so if you've seen the documentary, you see that this wasn't this big, sweeping, nefarious, awful thing that happens in college basketball as much as it was the FBI making a case out of nothing and entrapping the coaches in college basketball. And so I bring that up because, to me, this was the big story of the documentary, right? Like, like, like all the media, you know, Yahoo Sports, NBC Sports, CBS Sports, they, they, they all saw trailers to this documentary and they want to spend so much time talking about Will Wade and Sean Miller. That had nothing, that had very little to do with the documentary. What the documentary was actually about was about how fraudulent our justice system is at certain times where the FBI needs to make a case so they're forcing things that aren't really there. And the disappointing thing is that this isn't just something that led to an arrest or led to a coach getting fired or whatever. This thing literally ruined lives. And I hope that you guys, if you watch the documentary, took out that more than anything. It's not about the FBI. It's not about college basketball. And by the way, I will say this, Christian Dawkins, whatever you think about him, from the beginning, he has never denied that he was breaking NCAA rules to get players. That's part of the deal. That's part of how the game works, etc. But what he also was very readily to admit was there were no federal crimes and he was absolutely right. And what the disappointing thing that this documentary shows is very simply this is that it didn't clean up college basketball. I don't believe that college basketball is significantly cleaner than it was. Um, Criminals were not taken off the street. As a matter of fact, the only criminal was Marty Blazer, and he got to go away scot-free because he delivered a bunch of non-criminals to the FBI. And then very simply, and I hope you guys caught this, lives were ruined because of this case. And so I very much hope that you guys caught this because Tony Bland, who was an assistant coach at USC that was alleged to have taken a couple thousand dollars, which, oh, by the way, he never, it's been proven that he never delivered to the family that he said he was going to deliver it to. That was the other thing about the documentary, by the way. The coaches didn't want to take money, and the FBI agents are basically saying, well, you got to take it, you got to take it, and like literally shoving it into their hands because, again, they have to make a case. Well, Tony Bland, he's at USC. He's one of the hottest assistant coaches on the West Coast in line to get a head coaching job. Well, guess what? His life was ruined. He got fired. He will never coach in college basketball again. Book Richardson, the assistant coach at Arizona, who I've talked about on this show before, he not only got arrested, he served jail time because he took a couple grand to give to a recruit. Whether you agree with NCAA rules or disagree with them, the bottom line is this guy went to jail. This guy now has a, a record, a felony record on his resume 
for taking money to give to a recruit. His life is ruined. He'll never coach college basketball again. And by the way, keep in mind, these are all people, and this is the other thing. These are all people with real lives and kids and families, and that's the part that drives me crazy. These aren't million dollars. This isn't Rick Pitino who's 60 years old and has made $75 million coaching in his career. These are guys that were making 75, 100, 150K, even 250, 300K. That's not enough to live off for the rest of your life when your only source of livelihood has been taken away. And so I hope you saw that and I hope you realize how absurd and unfair this whole process was uh, to the people that were involved. In terms of what's next, I'll just say this. A couple things. First of all, there was this big report by, I think it was like the Arizona Star, one of the papers that covers Arizona that said, oh, the, the NCAA is going to be watching this documentary and they're going to be taking notes while the documentary is going on. I hope they were watching because if they did, they saw that there was essentially nothing. And I do hope that the first move the NCAA makes is to publicly welcome the people whose lives were ruined over this crap back into college basketball. The fact that Tony Bland will never coach again. The fact that uh, Book Richardson will never coach again because the FBI forced a couple grand into their shirt pocket that they never spent on a player. I hope those guys are vindicated and I hope they're welcome back. I don't think they'll be, but I hope they are. Now, in terms of the question that a lot of you are asking, what about Will Wade and Sean Miller? I told you there was nothing in this documentary that was going to get those guys fired and I still to this day believe that I was correct. First of all, the reason I feel that way is very simply this. While the, 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 the wiretaps made for great headlines, and like I said, CBS spent all this time and energy writing articles about it, and Yahoo and Dan Wetzel, who, oh, by the way, has a financial stake in this, this documentary, so make no mistake about it. Um, you know, all these articles are written about, oh, this is the end, and da-da-da-da. We knew about all these wiretaps years ago. The Will Wade huge-ass offer wiretap was out there a year ago. Even if we didn't hear it, we knew it existed. We knew Sean Miller was on wiretap. We heard wiretaps in these FBI court trials. Nothing new came out of this documentary. And even the, the, the stuff that you hear on wiretaps, you have to remember, to fire a coach with cause, there has to be at least... Until these, you know, the NCAA is investigating, but to fire a coach with cause, you have to have airtight, indisputable proof that they broke NCAA rules. Well, Sean Miller talking about Will Wade paying another player isn't either Sean Miller breaking rules, and it's not proof that Will Wade did either. Now, there's a part where Sean Miller talks about, well, you know, Will Wade's driving up the price and da-da-da and this and that. I'm not saying it makes Sean Miller look good, but I'm not saying it's enough to either get Sean Miller fired or Will Wade fired. You need proof. I, I've said it since this whole thing started. I can accuse, uh, you know, fill in the blank of murder tomorrow. There's got to be proof that a murder happened for a court to convict people, and it's the same thing with this stuff. Will Wade isn't just going to get fired at LSU because some dude was talking about him and it got caught on a wiretap. Speaking of which, for those wondering, is this going to cost these guys their jobs? Well, LSU came out and already said, you know, we saw the F we saw this documentary, um, and there is nothing that leads us to believe that Will Wade is in trouble with his job. Now, look, the NCAA is investigating. Things could change. But right now, Will Wade's not going to lose his job. Arizona, it's a little bit more interesting. Because Arizona, it does feel like the tide has kind of turned on Sean Miller, where when he's winning Pac-12 championships and his team is in the top 10 in the country, they don't mind if, if they're getting a couple bad headlines, some bad press. It does feel like things have changed a little bit over the last couple years. Really struggled last year. We're supposed to be better this year with the recruiting class, Nico Mannion, Josh Green, Zeke Naji. Well, now, 
all those guys are going to leave and the team just finished in fifth place. So could I see a scenario where Arizona was trying to move on from Sean Miller? Absolutely. But if they do, it's not going to be because of this documentary. It's not going to be because they got definitive proof from this documentary. It's either going to be because there's more stuff coming out in an NCAA investigation, a combination of the NCAA investigation with him being in the documentary. There will be more than just him being on a wiretap in the documentary. And again, it's only because he's struggling. Again, if he had won the last two Pac-12 titles, the school would still be fighting for him and the fan base would still be fighting for him. So is there a scenario where I could see Sean Miller is out of a job by the start of next season? I could, but one... There's the current climate that we're in in, college, in in athletics where you can't really interview anybody, so that's part of it. But then the other part is, again, I just didn't see enough that came out of this documentary. So, yeah. So, anyway. So, I think that's all, that's all I really have on the documentary. All I would say is very simply this. Made for great headlines. Shout out to all the guys at all the major media outlets that were writing about how this was the end for Sean Miller and Will Wade. It wasn't going to happen. And I hope if you take anything away, it was that, uh, away from this documentary, it was that it was a totally bogus investigation and that lives were ruined. This isn't about Sean Miller and Will Wade. It's about Tony Bland. It's about Book Richardson, who will never work in this business again. It's about um, you know, Preston Murphy, a guy who was fired at Creighton. It's about these guys that whose livelihoods have been taken away over nothing, over nothing. And I hope you guys took that away from this documentary as well. All right. couple other topics I do want to get to. The first one, how about your boy, Billy Clyde Gillespie getting a job at Tarleton State? Are you guys fired up to watch some Tarleton State next year or what? How about the Tarleton State, uh, uh, I don't know what they are. What, what do you think the Tarleton State nickname is? The Badgers? The Wolverines? The Titans? I don't know what they are. But come on. Shout out to Tarleton State who got Billy Clyde Gillespie. And what I'll say is this. Listen, I think I'm a good person to kind of talk about this. And normally I wouldn't even talk about it. I don't think there's really much there. Guy's 60 years old. He's coaching at a new D1 school. They're joining the WAC. They're basically irrelevant. And the guy got another job. whoop de freaking do Here is why I'm talking about it, though, is because there are a lot of people in the media who are not happy about this hire. Uh, My buddy Rob Douster, who I respect to be abundantly clear in case, Rob, in case you're listening to this, this podcast, I respect the hell out of you and what you're about and what you write about and how hard you work in this business. But I completely disagree with a headline that Rob Douster put out, and that others have too, and it's not just Rob, but a lot of people in the media are very upset by this hire because of Billy Clyde Gillespie's past, which of course includes stops all over the place, Texas A&M, UTEP, Kentucky, and of course, Texas Tech. And normally, again, I wouldn't talk about this, but because the, the, the story has come with some backlash, I did figure I'd hit on it. I also feel like because of the fact that I wrote one in fun, because of the fact that I talked to multiple people that played for Billy Gillespie at Kentucky, that coached with him, whatever, that I am somebody that's qualified to talk about this topic. And so let's get into it. Billy Clyde Gillespie, we all know, has a very checkered background. And the, art, the, the point of Rob's article, and again, I love Rob. This is not me going after Rob. I just disagree with him on this, was that essentially Billy's, uh, Billy Gillespie's background, basically she, he should never coach college basketball again. And I think everybody listening kind of knows the deal, but very simply it's this. When he was at Kentucky, very clearly the job was too much for him. He couldn't handle the pressure of being the coach at Kentucky and he had some very unfortunate incidents. He had a drunk driving incident. 
Um, you know, and there, there's nothing funny or anything to joke about about drunk driving. He was putting lots of people's lives at risk, not only his own. By the time he left Kentucky, he had to have a driver because he was so irresponsible. He leaves Kentucky. He gets to Texas Tech. Players are transferring in. Players are transferring out. There's, you know, he's he's over practicing them. There's there's allegations that NCAA rules were actually broken in terms of how much that he was practicing them. Um, I, I from Rob's article, from the way it's explained, there was a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of emotional abuse. I am not in favor of emotionally abusing players. To be clear. Um, and it apparently all came to a head with a story that I, I, I think I knew, but I kind of forgot that I knew. And that's that Chris Beard, who is currently the obviously the, the stud head coach at Texas Tech, was an assistant at Texas Tech at that time. It got so bad that basically Chris Beard went to the AD and said, dude, you got this guy's insane. You got to get him out of here. And it got really hostile, and Chris Beard was basically paid to go away because he was speaking out against Billy Gillespie. As it turns out, I think Chris Beard won that argument. Neither here nor there. Um, and, and the point of a lot of the backlash with Billy Gillespie is that he simply shouldn't be coaching again in college basketball. And so while I see the point of those who are saying that, I just completely disagree. And I completely disagree for one very simple reason is that I feel like if a person is not in jail, if a person is in the eyes of the government or the law or whatever, um, you know, a guy that is able to be employed, I believe that he has a right to seek employment. And what do I mean by that? Billy Gillespie, while he broke a law with the DUI, but he broke no law that precludes him from coaching basketball, okay? Um, and because he broke no law, because he's not in jail, because he's a free man, he has a right to seek employment and seek gainful opportunity for employment. Now, it's up to his employer whether they actually want to employ him or not, and Tarleton State has made the decision to employ him. And do I wish there were some things that Billy Gillespie hadn't done in his past? Of course, and I'm sure there's plenty that Billy Gillespie wishes that he hasn't that he that he did not have in his past but it does not change the fact that people should be allowed to seek employment and by the way this goes across the board this is my personal opinion on everything and it's never changed i'll give you an example michael vick michael vick 2007 dog fighting goes to jail my mom who is the biggest animal advocate ever who also listens to this show so what's up mom i hope you're doing good hope you're safe over there in connecticut um my mom is the biggest animal advocate ever. She believes that no one, like like Michael Vick should never be able to work again. Michael Vick got hired by Fox a few years ago and she calls me up as if I had something to do with the hire. How can they hire Michael Vick? Da, da, da. Mom, one, believe it or not, I don't make any hires over there. I just show up to do radio once a week. But two, the guy committed a crime. No one's arguing that. It was heinous. It was terrible. You can read about it. But at the same time, he went to jail for it. Justice was served. He served his time. And now he's out of jail and he deserves the opportunity to be gainfully employed to provide for his family. Again, I, listen, if I was running a, a, a you know, whatever, a, a dog pound, I wouldn't hire Mike Vick. But that doesn't mean he's not allowed to have a job. Um, Ray Rice, we all saw what he did to his wife on video. It was terrible, it was unspeakable. But the criminal justice system didn't put him in jail, and because of it, he should be allowed to seek gainful employment, whether that was in the NFL, whether that was out of the NFL, whatever. I'm not saying that I think Ray Rice is a great guy. I'm not saying that he should be proud of what he did, but he should be allowed to seek gainful employment. And so that's how I feel about Billy Gillespie. I'm not saying that I would have personally hired him, 
But he is a coach that at certain points in his career was really successful. He was very good at Texas A&M. He was very good at UTEP. He was very good at the JUCO level after he left Texas Tech. And Tarleton State believes that he is a person who can improve their athletic department, improve their basketball program as they become a D1 program. And so if they have done their vetting and they believe that the risk-reward is enough to bring him in, I have no problem with it. Now, a couple things that are very good about this situation. One, if he doesn't win, he ain't going to stick around. But two, we live in the transfer portal era. And every kid that comes in or every kid that's already there has the choice whether they want to deal with it or not. I'm not saying that Billy Gillespie's an amazing person. But if he's not, you know, if you don't like playing for him, just leave. It's not that hard. And I hate to say it, but it's the truth. I would also say anybody saying that Billy Gillespie, because of what he did 10 years ago at Kentucky or eight years ago at Texas Tech, should never be employed again. Well, man, dude, I'll tell you. What's the biblical saying? Because I'm not a religious person. He who cast the last stone, something, something. I don't know. Put it on a bumper sticker. I don't know what it is. But the point being is very simply this. We've all made mistakes in our lives. We all evolve in our lives. And I'm not going to hold Billy Gillespie responsible for something that happened eight years ago. If it was eight months ago, I'd be a little bit more hesitant. But eight years ago? Come on now. We all grow. We all evolve. We all become better people, hopefully, as we get older. We all, at the very least, learn. And I would hope that Billy Gillespie has evolved since the last time he was a Division I head coach. Listen, this is a guy that's been humbled. He had probably the best job in college basketball at Kentucky and got ran out of there after two years. Ironically, he was run out on a day where they couldn't find him. He tried to not get fired by just avoiding the press. Neither here nor there. Billy Gillespie had the best job in college basketball. He was coaching JUCO last year, okay? That man has been humbled. That man, by the way, had a kidney surgery two or three years ago, which literally saved his life. And if anything is going to change a guy, it's probably looking death in the face. And so I don't know Billy Gillespie. I've never talked to him. I've never interviewed him. I don't know anything about him. But I don't believe that we should preclude people from allowing them to seek employment. Tarleton State, I would think in theory, did some sort of background check. They did something to ensure that he is qualified and capable of leading young men. And if that guy wants to coach, I have no fundamental issue with it. All right, let's start to wrap here. Two kind of quick stories here before we get to Jim Calhoun. And when I tell you that Jim Calhoun interview is awesome, the Jim Calhoun interview is awesome. AT the GOAT did it again. As I said, there's a technical issue about one minute in. Uh, the, the, the tape goes like really blank or whatever. So if there's about a 10-second gap where you don't hear Jim Calhoun, just be patient. We'll get through it. Um, but, 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 but. All right, so two more topics I want to get to. The first is, speaking of UConn, uh, Arkansas just got a grad transfer that started his career at UConn named Vance Jackson. And you guys know how I generally talk about grad transfers, and I'm the type of person that, yeah, I'm kind of, grad transfers are kind of overrated, and it's not really my thing, and I don't really want to talk about it because most of them aren't that good. But this is one that I actually believe could be a difference maker in college basketball next year. Again, the kid's name is Vance Jackson. Grew up about, and I'm not exaggerating when I say 10 minutes from where I live here in Pasadena. Went to UConn his freshman year. It didn't work out because, let's be honest, as I told you last week with Johnny, Johnny Juzang, most kids going west to east don't work out. Comes back out west, goes to a very dysfunctional program at New Mexico, I'm going to get to in a minute, and now is at Arkansas. Again, generally, don't like the grad transfers who are coming uh, up a level. I generally think grad transfers are overrated, but this is one that I think can work. First of all, like I said, 
started his career at UConn. He's a former top 40 recruit. This is a kid that can play now. He averaged 11 points per game last year at New Mexico, 13 the year before, but he is a former top 40 recruit. And for the Arkansas fan that has never seen him, he is really talented, okay? So he's about 6'8", 6'9". He's kind of a new age wing. I know Arkansas fans are looking for more of a low post presence, but this is a kid that plays with the ball in his hands. He can create off the dribble. Uh, He can hit three-pointers. He has a nice mid-range game. He's a really talented player. Like I said, he's a former top 40 prospect. So the question you're all probably asking, well, why is he still in college basketball? AT, you always say if you're good enough to be a pro in in four years, you don't grad transfer. Come on, AT. You got to stick to it. Well, listen, first of all, back up. It's my own podcast. Chill out. Everyone relax. We're in a quarantine. You don't need to yell at me. That's one. First of all, that's one. Second of all, I think this kid is a little bit different because he went to a situation in New Mexico where I think he was promised a lot of things. And I'm not saying he did they, that, that, that the, the, this coaching staff didn't deliver, but it was a very dysfunctional program. And I talked about it a little bit on this podcast earlier this year. If you remember, Jaquan Lyle, whose career began in high school when he was one of the players, one of the recruits at the Katina Powell Strippers Party. Well, he was a fifth-year senior at New Mexico this year. Um, How about this? First of all, New Mexico had two starters thrown off the team. This is the the team that Vance Jackson came from. Okay, Vance Jackson, who's going to Arkansas, was at New Mexico. This is the dysfunction that was in the New Mexico program this year. Two starters were thrown off the team. Carlton Bragg was hit with a DUI. This was after he was accused of sexual assault and the, the case was cleared. And another player, J.J. Caldwell, there was a, a, a domestic incident at his house involving a female. He claims he's innocent. It's not my place to say, but the incident happened and he was thrown off the team. So for starters, you have two guys thrown off the team. Then you got my boy Jaquan Lyle, who I gave shout out of the day to a few months ago, because this guy, how about this for a story? He sits out a game with an injury doesn't travel with the team, yet still decides to rent an Airbnb and host a party that night. Okay, that's not good, not the worst thing in the world, whatever. Oh, except here's the problem. There was a shooting at the party. Okay, so New Mexico's leading scorer, let me, let me say that again now. New Mexico's leading scorer sits out a game with injury, does not travel with the team, stays home, yet still decides to rent out an Airbnb, throw a party where a shooting happens. And that was the situation that Vance Jackson was in last year. So you can forgive him if he didn't average 20 a game, if he didn't show everything he was capable of, because it was, I think, the most dysfunctional program in college basketball. And it was a program that I essentially called last chance U of college basketball. It was a place that was a complete mess. And so Vance Jackson graduates. He decides to get out of there. And even in that turmoil, he did play pretty well at times. Like I said, he averaged 11 a game. He had four games of 20 points or more, including in the conference tournament, he had 20-plus. He dropped 30 in one game two years ago and had 20 in a bunch of games that year as well. He made the all-conference tournament team a few years ago. But again, it goes back to what I said. Former top 40 recruit, at one point he was viewed as an NBA prospect, and he just needed to go to a place where he would have the opportunity to showcase that. And that's why I think this makes sense. One, he's crazy talented. Two, he's going to a place that is going to showcase him and that frankly needs him as much as he needs them. And what do I mean by that? Listen, you guys know I'm very, you know, I talk about Arkansas a lot. We got a lot of Arkansas fans that listen to the show. But what I can tell you definitively is this, is that that program with Mason Jones going to the NBA and it looks almost certainly like he's going to stay in the draft. I have received no indication that he will be returning. Um, They need guys that can score. They need guys that can get buckets, okay? 
And the one thing Vance Jackson can do is do that. Now, is he Mason Jones? He's not. First of all, he's not even the same player as Mason Jones. Mason Jones is more off the dribble. Mason Jones does a lot of things that Vance Jackson can't do. But that doesn't mean that Vance Jackson can't get some form of what Mason... He can't replicate some form of what Mason Jones did. He's not going to get 22. Can he get you 13 a night in the SEC? That kid can get you 13 a night in the SEC. Can you find it somewhere else when you have more depth because of a recruiting class? You can and he's the, the other thing he is, is he's a stretch player that is going to help spread out the offense and create more opportunity for the guards. And so this is very much a situation where Arkansas needs him, he needs Arkansas, and I think it fits. And as far as Arkansas is concerned, speaking of which, look, I do still think they're probably one guard away, especially without Mason Jones. They do bring back Desi Sills. I kind of think Isaiah Joe's coming coming back, but who knows? Uh, and they got a couple grad tra- or a couple transfers that set out last year: JD Note and Connor Vanover, who are both pretty good players. Uh, they also bring in a very good recruiting class, as I talked about last week. So um, I think this this is great. I do still think Arkansas is probably one guard away from being really good next year, but this was a guy they needed, and this is one of the rare grad transfers that I do think can make an actual impact on college basketball next year at the highest level. Very good player. I think being in a good situation will be good for him. And the one thing you know about playing for Eric Musselman, it is all basketball all the time. This is a kid that just wants to hoop. And I think it will be a very successful match. I said it, I did a a TV appearance in Arkansas via Skype. And um, by the way, shout out to me. I was wearing a Hawaiian shirt just because I was trying to bring those positive vibes. But um, in the interview, I said, I think he can be a guy that averages 13 a game. I think he can be a guy that is is a fringe, um, you know, a fringe, a fringe conference, you know, all conference type player. Like I don't think he's gonna be all. He's he's certainly not gonna be first team all conference. I'm not saying he's Mason Jones again, but can he be third team and average 13 a game? I think he can. This is great for Arkansas. All right, on the opposite spectrum. A ton of you guys have hit me up. We all know there's a lot of Kentucky fans who listen to this show, and so many of you have hit me up, and you've asked me, AT, what is the latest with our guys? What do we need to know? John Calipari said on, I think it was Monday, that five players have entered for feedback in the NBA draft process, and I'll tell you this. If you've watched my periscopes, if you've watched anything I do, I've been pretty consistent with this. I do think all five leave. I really do. Um, Nick Richards, Jr., almost certainly gone. Tyrese Maxey, going to be a lottery pick, almost certainly gone. Ashton Hagens, every indication, including him flashing money on Snapchat, makes it feel like he's going to be gone. And so what it comes down to is the last two with Emmanuel Quickly and EJ Montgomery. Very quickly, I thought it was interesting that there was a report this week by another outlet, oh, he's leaning the other way. He's leaning more towards going in the draft. He's not leaning anywhere. He's been going in the draft like AT has been telling you since the season ended. I've been telling you on this podcast, listen, I get it. I know that he was tweeting all sorts of things. I wish I was with my brothers right now. That happens every year. When the season ends the way that it did, of course he is going to get nostalgic. But when I say it happens every year, what I mean is this. Yeah, if you ask guys the day the season ends, are you coming back? They're all going to say yes. Because they're all caught up in the moment. Never forget, De'Aaron Fox and Bam Adebayo were crying their eyes out in the after they lost in the NCAA tournament. You ask both those guys in that moment if they were coming back to Kentucky, they both would have said yes. Then a week comes by, two weeks comes by, three weeks comes by, and they're like, dude, I'm going to go make millions. And so with Emmanuel Quickly, I've been telling you, none of this, oh, he's leaning one way or he's leaning. No, he's not. He's going. 
Because first of all, I know none of these guys who do mock drafts actually update the mock drafts. The only, the, first of all, the only mock draft you should read, Sam Vecini, who's been on this show a few times. One, he's a friend of mine. But Sam Vecini is the only guy who does a mock draft who actually takes information from the season and updates as he goes. Everybody else is either not informed or too afraid to make changes to their mock drafts, and they basically stay the same all year. And then a week before the draft, they update them. No disrespect, it's just a fact. That's what I love about Sam. Sam, one, busts his ass, but two, he actually talks to people, and he actually gets information. Sam, by the way, was the first person to say that Nick Richards was a draftable prospect this year when all of us watching the games saw that Nick Richards was a draftable prospect. Same with Mason Jones. Same with a bunch of guys. So don't follow these mock drafts and tell me, well, Emmanuel quickly is not in a mock draft. It's like, yeah, because these guys don't know what they're doing. What I can tell you is this. I know people close to Emmanuel quickly. I know people close to all these dudes. And Emmanuel quickly, you don't average 20 points a game in the SEC and not blow up in the eyes of the NBA. When you average 20 points a game in a power conference and you win conference player of the year, people take notice. I don't care what the mock drafts say. That was when I did the Periscope the other day. Well, he's not in the mock drafts. Well, guess what? Half these guys that are doing mock drafts don't know what they're doing. You average 20 a game in the SEC, people are going to notice. And so I know that Emmanuel quickly was, oh, you know, I wish I was with my brothers, blah, 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 this and that. He's going pro, and he's probably going to be a back-end first-round pick because the NBA has tape on him that he can get buckets. And I know John Calipari has said, well, he can come back and he can run the offense and blah, 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 and this and that. It's like, come on now. You're asking him to come back with a bunch of freshmen, and he's either going to run the offense and he's not going to score the way he did, or he's going to have to play with a freshman point guard in Devin Askew. And I think Devin Askew is a really good player. But you're asking Emmanuel Quickly to come back after being the SEC Player of the Year? Stop. Stop. And then with Emmanuel, and then as far as Emmanuel Quickly is concerned, I think if he goes, I think EJ Montgomery is going to go. I do think it was interesting. EJ Montgomery's dad came out with a big statement that, uh, on Wednesday night. He did talk to Jerry Tipton from, uh, I guess, the Lexington newspaper, and he said basically he doesn't think EJ needs to come back to show anything to the NBA draft. And while I know people are going to criticize, and I know people are going to say the dad is crazy because the kid wasn't very good, the dad is actually right. E.J. Montgomery was a McDonald's All-American. The NBA has known about him since he was a junior in high school, okay? Not only was he a McDonald's All-American, he tested the draft waters last year. He worked out for teams. They have a manila envelope with notes on E.J. Montgomery. And would you have liked to see him develop this year? Of course you would have. But that's not going to preclude him from getting an opportunity to sign a contract to be a professional basketball player next year. And by the way, coming back to Kentucky doesn't guarantee anything either. Now, what would I do if it was my son? Personally, I value education more than 90% of these guys. And I don't know if, uh, I don't know EJ Montgomery's dad. I'm not saying what, he, what the family does and does not value. If my kid wasn't getting drafted, I'd tell him, go back to school and try to get your degree. Because you might need that degree at some point. But I also don't have a, a son who's 6'10", who was a McDonald's All-American. Call me crazy. I know you just learned something about AT. You had no idea AT didn't have a 6'10 son. Well, guess what? I don't. But personally, I would tell him to go back. But I also think when you're a McDonald's All-American, and here's the other thing you got to remember, E.J. Montgomery came in as part of a very highly touted five-man recruiting class. Tyler Hero and Keldon Johnson left last year. Ashton Hagens is going to leave this year. And if Emmanuel quickly leaves, all the guys that E.J. Montgomery came in with are going to be gone, not to mention that Nick Richards will leave too. And so you're asking E.J. Montgomery to come back with a bunch of guys that frankly he really doesn't know except for Keon Brooks and Dante Allen. And so to me, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. What I try to do is be 100% real with you 100% of the time. And I think 
Emmanuel quickly is gone. I've been saying it. Don't listen to this. Oh, he's leaning one way or the other. He's gone. Come on. SEC player of the year. Stop. And two, and by the way, if I'm wrong, I'll own it. I'll open the show by saying I'm an idiot. It's April Fool's. I'm a fool. I, I, I look like a fool all the time. I say dumb stuff all the time. But I truly believe he's leaving. And if he leaves, I think it makes it that much tougher for uh, EJ Montgomery to come back. Whew. All right. I think that's it for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Don't lie, guys. Did I kill it? Did AT freaking kill it or did AT kill it? There's some days where I don't feel like I got it, where I, like, I don't feel like I got my A game. You know like how a pitcher sometimes, you're warming up. I know a lot of you guys play baseball, softball, whatever. And your fastball's popping and you're throwing it and you can just feel the pop in that mitt the second that it hits. And then there's some days where you're like, oh, my arm doesn't feel good or, you know, whatever. I'm not going to lie. There's been episodes where my arm doesn't feel good, whatever. Today, I was killing it. I was on fire today. But I think that's enough for today. So that's all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Can't believe I just made 40 minutes out of a documentary in Billy Gillespie. I'm a, I'm a monster. I'm a monster. All right, that's it. Enough Billy Gillespie talk. Time to get to a Hall of Fame coach, Jim Calhoun. So that is all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I'm telling you, stick around. You're going to love Jim Calhoun. You will not be disappointed, but that is all for today's show. Please make sure to, uh, before we go forward, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. That's important. iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, wherever you listen to podcasts, it's available. Spotify, no big deal. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Uh, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, uh, but mostly what you like. Be like Colby, who gave me 10 stars. He's like, I'd give it 10 stars if I could. So make sure to rate and review the show. Uh, make sure to follow on Instagram. That's a big one. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. A lot of great guests coming up. So make sure you're subscribed. Also, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show, or that is all for this segment of today's show. Jim Calhoun coming up, the Hall of Famer. We talk about... Uh, coaching tips, TV watching, everything that you would want, you get. So that is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig, the Australian legend. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I hope all of you are being safe. Stay home, order in, support local businesses. Shout out to Hoodie AT. That's all I got. And now here is Jim Count. All right, and joining me on the phone now, he is the head coach of St. Joseph's College in West Hartford, Connecticut, as well as a basketball Hall of Famer, uh, coming off his school's first conference championship win in program history. Coach Jim Calhoun is on the phone. Coach, how you doing today? Well, like a lot of people, I'm uh, trying to find things to do, um, but more I guess I'm trying to make sure that uh, that uh, my family's safe and as many people as I know are safe and give my blessings and Calhoun blessings to everybody out there because this is a uh, difficult time, but it's uh, also a dangerous time. I just hope that everybody's following the uh, <clears throat> recommendations uh, to make sure that we all stay healthy. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and I, I think it's something that as time has gone on, we realize how serious this is and that people need to be staying home and uh, protecting the, you know, watching the guidelines. Um, outside of, you know, playing it safe, I mean, how are you passing the time? I'm guessing uh, you probably haven't spent this much time around the house very often uh, throughout the past probably 50 or so years of your life. Yeah, I can't remember. I guess when I had my knee replaced or something like that where I had no choice that I couldn't get around, but... Uh... I do have a, a large uh, property here in the sense of nobody's out here except us. Sure. My Pat and myself and our coyotes and our deer and our bobcats and that stuff okay. out here in Concord. But I also have a, 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 an artificial hole, uh, actually plays legit, 
and I go out and hit golf balls. I watch TV, and the big thing I've done, I probably am going through, let's see, in, in, in two and a half weeks, I've probably gone through at least uh, three and a half to four books. Okay. Yeah, and, 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 and I've watched, uh, I haven't watched, I hadn't thought of my Ray Dunman from last year, uh, Homeland, I can give you some other stuff I'm watching the series. And, and by the way, those are at, uh, you know, the, as usual, I like to eat a lot, and, and, <laughs> and so I, 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 I don't. You can do two or three episodes at a time. But, you know, bottom line is that I'm on the phone a lot. You know, I'm talking to my players and talking to coaches and helping some guys who are possibly getting other jobs, talking to Steve Peichel for a great recruit he got. Yep. Uh, I mean, I got a whole bunch of different things that, that, that for me would be normal. Yeah, you, you know, you cut out there for half a second. So what TV are you watching? I heard you say Ray Donovan. What, what else are you watching now? Yeah, I mean, as I said, Homeland, uh, uh, Peaky Blinders, which is a great thing from from BBC, and <laughs> but it's talking about an Irish family in uh, nineteen nineteen in, in Birmingham, uh, England, so okay. about actually an Irish mafia, which is really interesting. But bottom line is that you get the opportunity to once again to to maybe look at another world besides just the. Uh, basketball and education so uh i remember you back in the day being an an american idol guy are you are you still into american idol when we get a new season here and there i am actually and everybody says coach you're, you're too old for that <laughs> i'm too old for anything number one well that's your thing but i i i haven't run a marathon recently, so i get that part of it but but no but but i think that anytime you watch somebody do something wonderfully great young old what it makes no difference to me it's kind of wonderful to see, and I like uh, I like all the kind of things. That's why I like movies. That's why I like theater. I just watched Harry Tubman yesterday, uh, a movie, which I really, really enjoyed. I, I think, once again, I, I'm not a man for all seasons, but I enjoy all seasons. What do, you, what, what do you make of, what do you remember of Taylor Hicks's, uh season in American Idol? Because Taylor's a friend of mine. He's been on this show many times. Big college football fan. I'm trying to get him into hoops. He's not as big of a hoops guy. You know, I never ever realized that the great, and you've seen it on American Idol and other places, you know, and, and I actually like, like, I went to see a, uh, a Garth Brooks concert one time and got a chance to meet him. Sure. How much, you know, the, the carryover between country, western, pop, et cetera, and obviously it blends in pretty good right now. Just once again, I talk about talent, watching people make magic and, and, and tell stories with their voice, pretty special stuff. Very good. Uh, I do want to talk about the season itself. So the last time I spoke with you, um, St. Joe's, a D3 program, which as of, I believe, about four years ago, did not have male students on campus. They started admitting male students. They bring you on and your staff to uh, help build a men's basketball program. And here you are, year two, you're coming off a conference championship, 26-3 and overall, 25 straight wins. I just want to get to the bottom of how do you go from, or, or, or what were the steps going from literally not having a guy on campus to now being 26-3 and three after two years with the program? Yeah, and the good thing is we ended up winning our, our conference 14-0. We uh, ended up being ranked 14th in the country in our second year. And by the way, second year, they were only on campus about four years ago. I, I was there three to start recruiting. But that may have been the start to the whole thing, Aaron, very simply uh, getting good players and getting players that fit in a small school like St. Joe's, and understanding what we can do for the university and its growth. It's 93 years old, but but to really do something special. As an antidote, today I was speaking with our president, Dr. Free, 
and uh, we're pouring cement today on our new gymnasium. We sold out our little gym last year. 500 people was great. But next year, we'll have a new gym. We hope to up to 1,000 people there, brand new. It's going to be really cool. So I'm saying we're jumping forward. So whether it be a new gym, whether it be having people understand the great things that St. Joseph's offers as an institution, uh, and when you have know what you have at home, but I mean at St. Joe's, you can attract a lot of good kids who just want the opportunity to play basketball. So you mentioned being kind of a St. Joe's kid, and I was kind of fascinated as I watched you guys have success this year. I mean, you're used to going to the big primetime AAU. You're watching, you know, future NBA guys and all that stuff. I've heard you talk about it in other places, but I'd be curious. I mean, how do you go about evaluating guys at this level? Because it's not as easy to just walk in the gym and identify this guy or that guy or this guy or whatever. I mean, how do you go about evaluating recruiting for a level like that? Um, because it's obviously completely different, I'm guessing, than what you did for 30 years at UConn. Yeah, the evaluation isn't as difficult, in all honesty. Because, you know, the best players that you get other plays you can get. A lot of people run after kids who already have scholarships. We don't give scholarships as Vision 3. Hmm. But maybe they qualify academically. Five of our kids are on very, very good academic scholarships. They're very good students. Uh, a couple of kids are on what we call captain scholarships, where they, mean they attended and graduated four years with over a 3-0 from a Catholic high school. Okay. Uh, financial aid. There's other reasons why kids can come there, and you have to be Anything within the rules, but be creative enough to identify the player first. It's just in you, and can you get him? I never try to chase many players I can get, and I think that's really important. And then maybe here's the thing I think that's most important: you got to be able to see beyond your own nose, which means you got to be able to see more than what you see on the floor. You see a six-seven kid, a little thin, runs like a deer, but not physical enough. You know, I got a kid that I saw a couple of years ago, went to junior college, came back to us this year. Uh, he shot 68% from the field, having 17 points a game and nine rebounds, because I saw him two years, over three years now, play for this year, had a terrific season, because I could see beyond my own nose, I could see the future a little better for him. Kid Delshawn Jackson, Prince Tech kid from Hartford, Connecticut, had 46 points in a championship game against Alberta this year, averaged over 20 points a game, Rookie of the Year in our league last year and uh, made the all-regional Northeast team play on the bottom line. I don't care if he's only 5'8". He, he can play any place. And I just think that's what you've got to see as opposed to worry too much about everything else around them. If they're good students, good kids, want to work, and they get and they get they they have ability of, to be something, then you got to make sure you try to recruit them and don't worry about anything else. I mean... Once again, I don't. I don't think any of the kids I have right now, pretty sure they aren't going to play in the NBA, but they can play. You know. Yeah, and I was going to say I remember you even saying this back to your UConn days. I mean, I vividly remember the story that Jeremy Lamb, who's I believe in his eighth, ninth NBA season right now. I don't believe he had started a high school game before you guys offered him at UConn. So that's something that you and your staff has always taken pride in, right? Well, I don't think there's any question. You know, the guard rest is so Richie Lewis. Great start for the Celtics. Played at Dunbar High School, one of the great you know basketball programs in the history of high school basketball. Never started a high school game either. Huh. Became an all-star captain uh, Celtics before he was done time. He got a 27 heart attack. Well, in some way, and Jeremy Lamb, 
was homeschooled to the senior year in high school. Never played a high school game when I saw him that year, off of him, and eventually he came. And I just think, as I said, you got to be able to see not just today, but what you think the future can be. Once you find out if the kid really worth, by worthing for himself, working as hard as he possibly can work to be the best he can be, worth every day on achieving academically, socially, and obviously uh, 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 athletically. So was that something even dating back to your UConn days where maybe you walk in and you see a quote-unquote five-star or quote-unquote McDonald's All-American, but maybe you're watching him go through layup lines or you're watching him in practice uh, You know when he thinks that nobody's paying attention and you just said – this kid doesn't want it or this kid doesn't have it because, you know, I, I, I do find as I cover more and more college basketball, without picking on anyone specifically, there are some programs, some teams, some coaches, and I think it's the natural inclination. You know, a kid is ranked highly or somebody else thinks something of him and you offer him a scholarship or you try to bring him into your program based on what somebody else thinks. And, you know, talking to people that I know in the business, that's one of the biggest mistakes coaches make is they're too worried about what everybody else thinks of a guy rather than what their own what, what their own eyes see, kind of what you said beyond your nose. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, there's a young kid I saw when he was a, uh, a sophomore. He's quick as a cat, little, about five foot eight at the time. Uh, he had got cut in his freshman year, a kid named Kimball Walker. <laughs> cut his freshman year at Rice High School. He eventually became a very good player in senior year, but people weren't quite sure because of his size. Did he try to score too much? I don't know. He could really play. <laughs> and I never, no one ever told him to score too much. I think it's a good idea to score a lot. So you combine that with his personality, his leadership. He eventually you know, grew to be almost six feet. Powerful, great kid, undersized. And now an all-star and obviously a, a great player for us at UConn and obviously now in the NBA. And I think that, once again, I, I'm not a guy that, you know, how tall you are, what you weigh doesn't really ever, ever factor in me. But how hard you play, how good you want to be, how well you are to work, do you let me coach you? I mean, are those desires all with you? And will you not say you want to be good, but do the things that make you good? That's what I really want to see in a kid. When I see that, that's the kind of player I want to have. So how do you, how can you evaluate that? Because that's fascinating to me because every kid says, no, coach, you know, I'm, I'm willing to put in the extra work. I'm ready to do whatever you need me to do. I'm ready to run through a wall. And this is, again, no disrespect to any specific kid, but there's some kids that, that talk the talk and then either they, don't, they, don't, they, they aren't willing to do it or they don't realize what hard work actually is. I mean, how can you identify that? What you just said is so fascinating about a kid that is not only willing to put, not only can put in the work, but willing to put in all that extra work. Well, I remember a kid named Ben Gordon. Sure. He actually had a lot of conversations. So I got a call after he, you know, Ben was only a six-foot-two guy, which a lot of people didn't think he'd be a great two guy. He played 12 years in the league, averaged 17 points a game. Six man of the year in the league. Well, anyways, so... He's coming up his senior year, and I like him. Good student, good kid, worked hard. I get a great phone call, which sounded like a bad call. From his high school coach, somewhere the next uh, five or six o'clock in the morning, that Ben had been arrested by the police. Ooh. What? Yeah, he had snuck into the gym in Mount Vernon <laughs> at 12 at night shooting. That was like music to my ears. Yeah. I said, that's the kind of kid I need. I still remember that phone call, and obviously he became a great player first, number three guy taking the draft. Had a great pro career. And my point being is that I talk to coaches. I watch a kid in practice. I, I talk to people who play against them. Those are really, really important things. And I think that 
as I said, don't take out, don't tell me how much he weighs, don't tell me how tall he is. What can he do? And what does he want to do? What is he capable of doing? Or more importantly, you hit it right. What is he willing to do? Because everybody thinks they work hard. Not everybody works hard. It's just that simple. And I just think that's really, uh, I remember I got a pretty good guy who dunked the ball all over the place. And, uh, he was a, he, I saw him get 62 points against the famous Riverside Church back in the day. He was playing for a, uh, team out of Virginia, a kid named Ray Allen. <laughs> he was a dunker then, a great jumper. He got to college, and the same athletic ability, same pride in everything he did, be it academically, the way he dressed, the way he could carry himself. He was more than willing to become obsessive, become one of the great shooters of all time. And I just think, you know, but you see signs of those kind of players by talking to other people, by watching the kid yourself, by, by truly, truly, you know, don't, Tell me what you do. Show me what you do. I love that. I love that. Let me ask you this. So many coaches and, and people in basketball and in life and society in general, oh, kids have changed, kids of this, kids of that. And part of it, you know, times have changed. Everything changes. Everything evolved. Do you do you think kids have changed? Do, do you feel like they're the same at their core that they were when you started this 40, 50 years ago? I mean, what is your opinion when somebody tells you, well, kids today are so different than they were 20 years ago? Well, society has changed. Yep. And, and, and therefore, people are going to change. You know, and, and so when that happens, I, I, I think that you, I need a bigger carrot now along with the baseball bat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? By that, I mean, you've got to show them why a little more now before you told them why. Now you have to show them why they can be really good. But they still want the same things. They still want to be great. They, they, they may resist early being pushed as hard as maybe as someone like myself would push them. But I push them out of love, caring, and yes, society's changed, therefore the kids in society do change, but they still want to be great, they still want to have success, and if you use that as a basis, you just have to use a little different method. doesn't mean you can't push them, you push them really hard, but you got to show them more reasons why they're doing things, as opposed to just tell them to do them. When you say show them, how is that? Is that by video? I mean, I know a lot of coaches will, you know, if they've coached a Ray Allen and they got a kid who's a, a wing, they'll show them video of Ray and how they used Ray or whatever. I mean, how do you show a kid? Uh, what well, I mean, I mean, well, it's a daily thing. You know, every single day, I have this whole fair about win the day. When a guy comes to practice, I want to make sure they're really good at what they're doing. We'll stop practice time to, 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 when he does something special to have success, you know. People want to be good all the time, obviously. You only really want to be good, and I think you all know this. You'd love it if some person you have great respect for, Jim Nance, walked up and said, hey, you're really good, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if his teammates, the people he, he cares about, will make a big deal of what he's doing in practice, he starts to see. Huh. He's now taking over certain leaderships. So you've got to show them different things. Show them the game. Show them that you have. You truly, if you say you believe in the kid, then you got to show them by playing them. I mean, there's a whole aspect of thought about this and, and get it through. It's not simply just throwing the ball up there. you got to have a game plan. As far as your team at St. Joe's, one thing you know I, I was thinking about as I prepared to kind of call you is I would assume that because the, you've only admitted men, I think, for maybe three – I know you've been there for three years. I don't know if men have only been allowed for three years, two years, whatever. Three years. Yeah, we, we're, we're going to answer and fall us our third year. So you must have a very young team going into next year, right? I assume most of your core is coming back going forward? We have every player coming back, yeah. Wow. You excited about it? This... We... Go ahead, Coach. Sorry. We should be good, and, and, and we have one, let's do seniors next year. 
<laughs> so my point being is we are a young team. Now, you've got to keep them because one of our kids, the, year, the first year, ended up getting a full scholarship to uh, Bryant College, which was great for him. Sure. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Uh, do you find it harder? or I mean, sometimes bringing back too many vets – increased playing time and you know now you know listen they scored a bunch of points there's girls on campus I'm guessing the campus is still like probably 70 percent female uh is it harder when you bring back too many guys where you know with the classes kind of split up you know what I'm saying well yeah you know, the problem that you have anytime we reach our next October or really in September when we start their workouts we don't want them to think that it's just an extension of last year sure okay because we, had, we, we, if I remember correctly, we hadn't lost a game. Oh, by the way, we haven't won a game. Yeah. So we got to start. And, and once again, as you bring in a couple of kids, I, I truly believe that the best way to evaluate kids is get good players around them, push them every single day. Sure. You can get overstacked and take a kid who could play other places and, and, and isn't playing for you, and that's unfortunate. But we kept our team to about 14, 15 last year. We averaged uh, 11 kids played every game. And other guys off the bench came off. And since we average over 90-something points a game, we play a lot of people and we come at you pretty good. So bottom line is, is, is that, 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 you know, we're going to – I agree with you. That, you know, after three national championships, I know the year afterwards was somewhat – we started the season off thinking we were someplace we were <laughs> seven months after before that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's not the way you think. But you know what? Those are the problems. I like if you're coming off a 26-3 and three year, that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I just I remember talking to a coach from the Miami Hurricanes football program around the time that they had Ed Reed and Andre Johnson and yep. Jeremy Shockey and and he told me and I, it stuck with me all these years later was that what happened was when they started to recruit guys now you aren't recruiting as many guys but when they started to recruit guys the guys that they were bringing in thought that they had already won a national championship because they committed to Miami and they they didn't know the work that goes on behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. And so whether it is a young guy coming in or a guy that has already accomplished success, I was just imagining that sometimes, you know, it might be a little bit to kick him in the butt, like you said, and to, to let him know, hey, last year's done. It's time to move on to 2020, 2021, or whatever it is, you know? And, and, and it's a great point because that's exactly what you have to do. you got to move on, and we got to take this season on the best we possibly can, and we'll be good. We're going to be good. And, and, and yeah, there's going to be the idea of, hey, we haven't won a game yet. And, and after losing in our finals my first year, our first year, you know, we had a lot to prove. We're 16 and 12. Well, we proved enough to win 25 straight. <laughs> and, and my point being, what do we do now? Well, now our next aspiration is to win the league again and then go farther in the NCAA tournament. I mean, we're going to keep putting aspirations up there. You call me to win. We won a lot of big, 17 biggest championships. Jeez. The goal was then to win a national championship. And after about eight years of being off the post, years and then we obviously got a chance to win and we won uh, a couple more after that and, and UConn won another one and my point being is that there's always great goals ahead for every season we'll have a tough schedule I'm sure and uh, we'll have a lot to be, to be motivated. You mentioned this a minute ago but I was reading that 
the the school the the school itself and again to reiterate uh all females up until three years ago you guys come in and and what i was reading was is that out of state uh applications are up uh out of country applications are up how proud are you of the role that your guys are playing in kind of just creating awareness for this small school that frankly i know exactly where it is it's a tiny little campus uh you know on the corner of a busy street uh and it's kind of surreal the kind of the the growth that even i've seen from a distance over these last couple years yeah, well, you, 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 especially it's a pretty little campus located in a beautiful area. I mean, yeah. it really is. And, 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 and I think we're right next to, uh, to West Hartford Center, to, to Blueback Square, which is a really nice area. And we're like a mile from a, a downtown. Uh, we're two and a half miles from the FL Center. It's a bus line. My point being, there's plenty there to do. And secondly, the proud thing is the fact that at the school, we're, we're growing and, and we're getting bigger. And, and, and our kids... I told them they're pioneers. They're doing something that only, that nobody else in the history of the school will ever do. And I and, and I think to go to school and and, and, and be the pioneers, being the, the guys who got started, that's pretty special stuff. And I think that uh, I preach out every day that, that not only do you represent yourself, your family, but you represent St. Joe's and all of us. And I just think it's really important as we go forward that we're bringing more students. We're helping the name of uh, St. Joe's all over the place, and that's good stuff. Very good. Speaking of good stuff, you mentioned kind of the UConn stuff. Um, is it surreal to you? I mean, I saw not this past season, but the season before you're celebrating the 20 year anniversary of your first national championship. Uh, some of your players are now retired doing stuff with, with guys like me in the media, Khalid El Amin, Karan Butler, all that kind of stuff. Is it surreal to you how much time has passed? Or, I mean, is that just kind of standard operating procedure because it, it doesn't feel like 20 years since you beat duke in the uh, tropicana field uh, you know 1999 you know then that was magical i, I, I talked to a lot of my players because i'm from rift this morning and i talked to khalid and karan one of my guys all the time kevin freeman i would call me later today so jake boswell i stay in touch with jake and anyway it's right down the line and uh, ricky moore was system for us at, at uconn for a while yeah anyway it's bottom line we, we, we stay in touch with a lot of our kids and you know, the best way to put it, it seemed like yesterday, and it seemed like it was the start of our, our incredible run. It really wasn't, but my point is that, you know, it's a magical time. It was wonderful, and then we went on to, to win other championships, and other great players came, and, and then, you know, it, it does seem, it seemed to me like this, how long ago was that Kimber had that 11-game run? We won in Big East, five games, five days, the national championship. Yeah. I, it seemed like yesterday and then yeah. again seemed like quite a while ago because a lot of things transpired so I, I i think that in your journey for life to you just got to be careful enough to, to, to not think just about destinations or the great moments in between and you know when i get together with my guys and i i make points of contact and, and they contact me so much through through time that, that, that it, it becomes a, a you know ongoing experience that because Riff's not making jumps from me anymore you know, we're going to try to play golf together. Sure. <laughs> a lot of different kind of things. Who's the best golfer that you coached at UConn? Who's the best golfer what now? I said, who is the best coacher that you – that who is the best golfer that once played basketball for you at UConn? You know, we really – Donnie Marsh is very good. Ray Allen's a really good player. Ray is a really good player. That's Ray what Allen's I, a really good player. I've heard Ray's very good. You mentioned Karan Butler. Um I could be mistaken on this, but I believe that you were a groomsman in his wedding. Is that correct? I was. I was a. I wasn't a groomsman. I was a, a honoree by the fact I I helped uh, walk him down places. Dad wasn't oh. there. 
uh, as like uh, special guys. Uh, you know, my relationship with my players, a lot of them, they I come along at a time in their life where they really, really uh, maybe need another uh, male adult figure in their life, or you know, they have their their family obviously. But and so I, I played that role in Karam as a kid who who really had a, a tough youth and turned out to be one of the great people, not just basketball players. I've met a tremendous player, and now he's doing a great job on NBA TV and ESPN. So I don't know if you ever would have had the opportunity to go to the NBA, and I'm not, certainly not asking if you did or any examples, but but does the, does being – because, you know, you look at somebody like Rick Pitino, and listen, Rick Pitino has been dragged through the mud, and, and, you know, everyone's had their opinions on Rick Pitino, certainly me, but it seems as though – he wanted to get back into college basketball because there's something important to him about working with kids 18 to 22, 17 to 23, whatever it is. It sounds like for, you know, and I'm not comparing you to Rick Petito in any way, shape or form, but that that was an important element of what you did and why you did it. Is that kind of fair to say just that being with kids at that age was very important to you? Well, I had opportunities to coach in the NBA, but I knew from a long time ago it wasn't me. It wasn't me because... I like to get a kid that ticket point left. You know, the NBA is all basketball, and that's wonderful. But I, you know, other things in my life that that, that was important to me, and I, I was a guy that 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 basketball helped change their life. Big family, we mailed my house up. My dad died at fifteen. My sisters, my brother, all that type of thing sure. that I thought what college basketball did for me, and I I tried to make sure that I did that. Same thing they were done for me on the way up as a player. They gave me a scholarship to college to get me there and then get into grad school and get me to coaching, all the kind of things I wanted to do for kids. And so I found my niche. I loved it, and I never really wanted to get away from it. When I got away, I found I missed it, so that's why I'm back. Fantastic. A uh, couple quick questions to let you go here. Um, you know, you mentioned you gave these great stories about Kemba Walker, Ben Gordon. If, if you don't mind, I would love to kind of throw out a few names and just either the first thing that comes to mind or a funny story about them because I think fans really enjoy that stuff. Uh, the first one that I would ask he was there when I was at UConn many years ago, but not that many years ago. But Rudy Gay, what do you remember about being around him, coaching him? Incredible, incredible athlete. Uh, obviously, now into his kind of years, twelfth year, eleventh year yeah. in the NBA. Uh, incredible talent, and most importantly, one of the best people I've ever met. Rudy Gay, when they had a, a, a time for me uh, five, six years ago, took a plane down. He played for Toronto time. Had to wait four hours from Toronto, came back, stayed there that night just to be down there. That's who Rudy Gay is. Rudy Gay is one of the best people I've ever met. I used to kid him. He's too good a guy to be an all-star. <laughs> he was not a ruthless guy. Go on, play with him, said, without question, one of the best people he's ever met. He's a really talented guy. I love Rudy Gay. What about Shabazz Napier? He's somebody I've been trying to connect with here over these last couple months uh, to, to talk with him. Uh, you only had him, I believe, for one, maybe two seasons, but what do you remember about working with him? Well, Shabazz is just an incredible kid, you know. He, he, he's a tough kid to, at times because he's so fiery. I'd say the great thing I could say about him is there's no way he should make the NBA. I think he's now heading into his uh, sixth year, mm-hmm. and I stay in touch with him. But he, he, no one's ever pushed themselves properly to the degree he has to make himself an NBA player. He should be credited to get from getting his degree to the fact that he's undersized, underweight, but never under high. He's one of the toughest competitors and made himself an NBA player. Real proud of him. 
So real quick, you, you know, he sounds like the kind of guy we were talking about a minute ago where you saw something in him before everybody else did that allowed you to offer him a scholarship and want him involved in your program. What do you remember seeing in him? Because like you said, he's not a guy that would have jumped out the first time you walked in the gym as a Big East caliber player, national championship, All-American caliber player. Yeah, I saw him down at Disney, uh, Disney World where they had a big, big tournament every summer. You and walked by and someone said, oh, he I, they don't know what he is. He, 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 he's the appointed the scorer. I looked at him after about 10 minutes and said, no, he's a player. Yeah. That's where he took a play. <laughs> no, no number on him, just, just the fact he became a great player for us. Very good. You mentioned Ray Allen. I mean, I think the the thing that people forget about him from his time with you and his early NBA days, what a great athlete he was. I mean, everybody remembers him with Miami Heat, three-point shooting, Boston Celtics. I remember as being a great athlete, but what do you remember having him around? Well, Ray was a guy who was a great athlete, smart. No one in my career has ever specialized shooting the way he did when he took it on. You know, he and the God rest so the late Kobe Bryant, used to argue who worked the hardest, which is an incredible, incredible comment to Ray, obviously. And he and Kobe used to go at it about who was working the hardest. But I can tell you what, Ray Allen, because I saw it personally, no one ever was obsessed about being great as he was and turned him into a great player. Very good. Coach, I don't, have a, I don't really have anything else. I I, I want to – if you if you won't get mad, I, I, want, I want to ask about Ryan Gomes because to this day – People, every time he comes up, I see him on TV, people remember your moment in time. Do you mind if I ask if You can hang up on me if you want, but when, when, when you hear the name Ryan Gomes, what do you think? A great kid. You know, I first saw him, he, was, uh, he wasn't doing well academically at school. He weighed 270 pounds, but he had game. He really had game. <laughs> sure. And a terrific, terrific kid. And honestly, I had a choice that year taking Kawan Butler. Um <laughs> No, it's true. Yeah, I know. No, or, or Ryan. No, people want me to take Ryan because he's local. I understand that. He turned up. He's still a little bit of good. I could take them both. But I took Colin uh, Butler over him that given year that recruiting class, and Ryan went on to have a great career and a pro career. By the way, got a chance to talk to him a few times, not in a while. But Ryan Gold is a terrific guy. He ended up being a terrific player. Do you ever have you ever watched the video from that press conference? Because, like I said, it is classic and. I don't know. Every the coaches that I know that know that I went to UConn love watching. You know, you in that moment. I don't know. I don't know if you have any comments on the the press conference, but I was curious about that. No, but, but I, I, you know, I don't mind a guy asking a legitimate question. I, I don't, and I don't mind even the Ryan Gomes per se. But you can't come up out of nowhere, and and, and, and I guess you could ask me if we were, if we were like, you know, uh, fifteen. Oh, excuse me. If we were like eight and twenty, fine. When you're 25 and three, you're asking the question, do you wish you had this other guy? No, I don't need him. I get, we got the team we have, and you know, that's very like this, but no one's ever said I wasn't direct. No, certainly not. Certainly not. Um, coach. But, but, but honestly, the moment I said that to most people, next. Yep. It's next time. It's like next play. I yell at kids, and I call them lazy, this, this, and that. Let's go, next play. And I thought, well, the problem is that the video tape didn't go away. listen i think it adds to the jim calhoun mystique i think people love listen i will tell you this there is a very prominent d1 coach right now i won't name his name because i don't know if he wants his name out there he coached against you he respects the hell out of you and he told me when i told him that i went to uconn he goes sometimes when i need to fire myself up 
I go watch old Jim Calhoun press conferences. So I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's a fact. I'll tell you off air who it is. But somebody that respects the hell out of you told me that probably six months ago. So. Uh, I love it. <laughs> All right, Jim Calhoun, head coach, St. Joseph's. Uh, coach, this was awesome. I, I you know, like you said, you. it's, it, you know, stay safe, all that stuff. And, you know, same to everybody listening, obviously. But I so very much appreciate this time. And I know people are going to really, really, really enjoy listening to this. So thank you for making this happen, Coach. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.